Hello, and welcome to this very special Eerie Extra. Eerie Extras is the place on such a nightmare where we put all the stuff that we just can't seem to fit into anywhere else. <laughs> I am part of your Such a Nightmare team. My name is Katherine Troyer, and I'm so excited to get to be here today with Tony Tresca. Howdy ho, buckaroos. Well, that was intense. That was... That was <laughs> I'm trying a new thing. I was like, I I'm going to bring some energy. You brought you were bringing like some it. excitement. You didn't... Yeah, it was not, <laughs> well, it was not where I hoped to go. a note for next so. time. <laughs> <laughs> so you and I were lucky enough that we got to sit down with some fantastic authors. Christopher O'Halloran, Anthony Frost, Alex Wolfgang, Carson Winter, and talked to them about their book, and I realize it's backwards, the title, but, but Bloodlines. So oh, yeah. this was, it was just so wonderful. It, we had this conversation. It's not even been a week. It was, it was this last weekend. And afterwards, you and I were like, what if we talked a little bit more about their, their fantastic anthology of, of four short story novelettes, however you kind of want to refer to them, because we didn't get a chance to just like gush too much because that's awkward. But like, I yeah. want to just talk <laughs> about how great these stories are and how great it is to be having these writers creating this work in this moment. Yeah, it was so great to get to sit down with, uh, there are a bunch of indie horror writers who are clear, they're just doing it because they love writing horror and they love writing and they are love telling stories. And I think that is the thing that just elevated this anthology to just above just being, because anyone could put four short stories together around a central theme and like release an anthology. Mm -hmm. That's not that impressive intrinsically. <laughs> what is impressive is just that it is clearly just made with so much love. And it tells you that right from the introduction, right from the like preface, introduction, dedication, in which they say explicitly, this book is dedicated to all the indie writers, the aspiring wordsmiths, the amateur storytellers. That's who we are. Four dudes who met on the internet and threw a collection together around a common theme. Anyone can do it, really. That's three sentences. Now go write a book. So nice. So inspiring. And they did. Yeah. <laughs> so there, I was talking with someone about, there's a, somebody has taken the time to create, it's called like Horror Lex, and it is a database where you can enter or look up one of the films that they've entered into the database and it'll tell you all the scholarship that's come out on that film. It's really lovely. And someone was asking, is there one for horror literature? And I told hmm. them, to the best of my knowledge, there's not because there's just less scholarship written on horror literature. Because for a very, very long time, we you either treated horror literature as being Stephen King or you were like, well, let's not talk about horror. Let's talk about the gothic. And yeah. because everyone else who was writing horror, you know, it was being sort of pushed as, as like the, that trashy thing that you read alongside your romance novels that you quote, don't tell anyone about. But what's great about Bloodlines and what's great about this current moment is that we can have indie writers who are really talented, who have important things to say. And because we have, we begun to remove that stigma of self-publishing, right? We can have yeah. four indie writers who said, we sat together and did this. Now it's your turn. Let us know so we can buy your book right? Yes. And I, I love that. That was the dynamic that I got from just like speaking with them in the interview. Uh, they were just so in, they were so willing to shout out other horror yes. authors besides themselves. And it's clear. One of the things we like, I, I enjoy really talking. I enjoy talking with you because we read a lot of horror. Yeah. We read a lot of horror. Uh, we watch a lot of horror and so did they. Yes. And it was so refreshing to get to talk to writers who were fans of the genre. Because a lot of times we talk about, like, it feels like in horror films, 
it's made by people who don't even really like horror that much. It's made by people who are like, oh, this is cheap to make, so and we can sell it really easily and make a profit. And so that's why we do horror, and we love horror for that. But these guys just really... I don't know. Yeah, and they, nice. they're they're current on on contemporary writers, which is something you said that's very important because the other thing, right, is if if you talk to filmmakers or some writers, even if they don't seem to to like actively not like the genre, their examples are just the same sort of canonical people, and that's great. Right. There's a reason that people become canon, uh, but there's also a reason that canon should be the first but definitely not the last step that one takes into a genre and so they're like hey have you been checking out these new voices and we even get a reminder that 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 horror is kind of for everyone in the introduction yeah there's this fantastic foreword written by solomon force uh where he just kind of like talks about these horror introduces it from like a really domestic point of view just like isn't it scary when you slept over at like a friend's sleepover? Weren't you really terrified of that? And they're like, well, sit with that feeling. Yeah. That's the feeling we're going to be with for the rest of this book. And they include this really fascinating um, description of horror. We, so a lot, again, a lot of our conversations evolve around genre, definitions of horror, what makes good horror. And this has a, it doesn't have exactly a full answer, but it has the beginning of what horror does best. Mm-hmm. They say, hor- what is horror but a violation of reality? And if that core of horror is a violation of reality, what's more real to us than our family, our home, the rules and roles of the miniature kingdom we have known since birth? Yes. And so it's you all, and that's what all four of these stories are. They're violations of reality around the family unit. Yes. And before, Very different family units, yeah, but yes. family units nonetheless. And before we talk about the four stories, I want to I want to spend a, a moment longer on the forward for two reasons. One, I appreciated his reference to to books that were similar to the ones that I read when I was little. That like on the surface are not scary, right? Like Sesame Street books. But you know, yes. there's a, a very famous Sesame Street book with Grover that's you know there's a monster at the end of this book. And I remember even before I understood that I liked horror, right? Like. I kept coming back to that book and I would always ask to be, to have that book be read to me. So there's this really interesting yeah. way in which, you know, he's reminding us that for many of us, horror has been a part of our world before we ever sat down with something that like might be recognized officially as horror. And then exactly again, that reference that he has about, you know, having gone in and slept over at someone else's house, I, he put into words what I could never quite understand as a kid. And that was why I found it so uncomfortable sometimes to spend the night uh, at people's houses. And it was because I never knew, you know, was I following the rhythms correctly? You know, there's always the things that like some houses, it was like, you don't, you're not allowed to drink or eat this. And I was like, well, in my house, we do that all the time. You know, and it was like, and I don't understand. And that's a lot to put on like a kid. A child. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like if you think about it, (laughs) sleepovers might be the most like barbaric thing we can do to children. But but Force is reminding us, right, that, like, horror really is about about the family, either being with a family or being away from a family that, you know, are, like, intimate horrors that we experience and frame the world through are ones that are familial, which is where, again, this, this collection is going. And I think one of the themes that emerges from these collections, these four uh, stories, is just how much of 
It's this violation of reality, but also a tacit acknowledgement that reality is insanely constructed and individualistic to each each person. And so that what that violation looks like is entirely dependent on what your preconceived notions about what yes. reality is. Yes. And so like that in that in many ways that ch- example of the sleepover is a perfect example of that. It's so brilliant. Yes. So like so simple but so brilliant yeah. because it's like it is your limited view of reality is being challenged by someone else's yeah. view of reality in a very tangible real way. And we continue to experience that trauma if you will through our entire lives. Because if Mm -hmm. you end up uh, having a significant other, you're gonna have to figure out how to take the family that you grew up with for better or worse, and the family they grew up with for better or worse, and then make a new family, right? And it could be something silly, like do you open presents on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day and one of you is wrong, right? It could be something silly (laughs) like that. Or it could be something fundamentally intense, like I didn't realize until we got married that the way my family processed love was not as as functional or good as it could have been. I just never realized that. You know, I've heard lots of people say that where they'll be like, my partner opened my eyes to what it meant to have unconditional love for the first time. You know, so like, yeah, <laughs> this this is it's a lifelong trauma. And the first story really shows us how how lingering trauma can be even after, you know, a family member may be gone, and that's Christopher O'Halloran's story, Our Migraine. Yeah, this was a very haunting uh, tale. It's a, these three sisters are, after their mom, they wish for their mom's pain to be removed from them when she is dying and is in this increasing pain. And one of the sisters, Penny, even directly states that she wants she wants to feel that. She right. wants that. She wants to take it take on this disease. And uh, the universe listens. It breaks reality, and it pat- gives these three uh, sisters the ability to take on the migraine. Yes. Um, and pass it between. Only one person could have the migraine at a time, and so they and it's incredibly painful. So they have to take turns passing it between each other. Yes. And that concept alone, like if anyone, I, my partner suffers with from yeah, migraines. I have migraines. Uh, so it the I just I've like seen how bad a migraine can get, and so imagining just that willing passing of it back and forth is just so hard to yes. read. Yes. And, and O'Halloran does a really good job of creating, like, reading it, I could feel sort of phantom migraine symptoms because, oh, yeah. you know, it. he really did a good job of touching on, on what it feels like physiologically. So he, we have the, the physical body horror, but then, of course, we have, you know, the, the horror of, of, and we'll let you read the story because, you know, like, everyone needs yeah. to go out and buy this <laughs> book. But, but, like, what happens if, if you're like, well, maybe I don't want to be in pain for a little while. Maybe I want to be selfish. And what's so fascinating about this is a lot of horror will do this, like, at what point do you stop being altruistic? At what point do you stop being a good person? But few stories ask you that with family members, right? Often it's like, would mm-hmm. you save a stranger? You know, like like the premise of much of the, the Saw franchise where it's like, you know, you could save this random person who's in the other room or you could save yourself. And it's like, well, we know where most people are going to go. But this story mm-hmm. asks us, you know, when when does family become a, a burden and when does it become a savior? And when are you willing to say that family is not as important as me 
but family is also who I am, right? Like there's a lot to unpack yeah. in, in all of that. And O'Halloran gives it to us in a really haunting way. Yeah, you're like, at a certain point, you're like, you know, maybe my family's suffering doesn't need to be my suffering. Yes. And that's kind of, and that is the idea that they're working with, O'Halloran is working with in that central story. And the repercussions from denying the suffering are horrifying, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. So we go from this, this very contained, the entire thing happens within the same apartment space. It feels... Um, very intimate to uh, the story by Anthony Frost, which is called Nosta Tad, which uh, translates to Goodnight Dad in Welsh. And mm-hmm. and we've now expanded it out. So instead of it being intimate of, you know, these are my sisters that I've been living with literally for, for and, years. And, and that whole thing is, the migraine is, takes place in that apartment. Exactly. It, doesn't, it does not leave that one room uh, the entire story. Exactly. Instead, now... We're in a bigger place, right? Because someone finds out that their their deadbeat dad that they only share a name with and, and some DNA uh, has bequeathed them a house and they don't know if they want it, right? So again, we have that like, right. at what point are we required to accept the quote gifts and often burdens that our, our families put on us? But Frost, and, and you can hear this in the interview, is really interested in thinking about bigger things of, of hierarchies. So there's the fear of self, but also the fear of the, the like shadowy, potential underworldy stuff and we get and to the, see that yeah and the unintention the unintentional uh consequences of our actions because yes. this this story is just filled with characters making decisions that upon first perhaps first pass or even like your first read you're like absolutely 100 logical got where i see why you make that decision but by the end of it pun intended, it spirals so out of control, and that's a pun perhaps for maybe only people once you yes. get to the end of the short story, um, but it spirals so out of control, and there were so many unintended consequences because the situation that is presented in this, while on first glance, seems very straightforward. Yes. How dad go recover the house that my dad is now dead, I've got to do that, but by the end it has devolved into this otherworldly, vast conspiracy that Upon first glance, you could never no. have guessed no. that that was gonna. There were gonna be those no. consequences. And the story navigates in really powerful ways, while also adding this huge other element: the concept of found family, right? And, right. and the significance of having people that matter to you because you matter to them. And and at what point, you know, at what point is family something that is biological, and at what point is it so much more than that? And, and Frost refuses to make it really easy, right? He's like, well, it's kind of right. complicated because biology is legit, but so is emotion. And we can't separate them because we are biologically emotional creatures. So there's just really some fascinating levels that, that he's built into how we have to think about family. Yeah. And the expectations of family and those weird pressures are the themes of the next short story uh, written by Carson Winter, I Am Not To Be Replaced, which kind of zones in on what happens uh, when your actions are not to the approval of the rest of your family, or and then they just they decide to do something about it. Yeah. They replace you with a better version, uh, a better version, quotation yes, marks, yes. obviously. Uh, without the defects that the family has deemed yes. you have. And it follows this young girl who has 
been replaced by her family um, and is now stuck as a ghost watching yes. them at this cabin. And the first person narration really was the perfect choice for this. Not only because Absolutely. the main character can't, you know, like talk to the other people, but also because one of the big themes of, of this story, and again, like you said, it builds so perfectly on where we've been with the other two, is, is it possible that, that being with people that you hate but know could be better than being completely alone, right? And, like, I, I've had these conversations before where people have been like, but why do you still interact with this person? Or how come you still consider them to be important in your life, even though you haven't talked to them for months or years? And I'm like, because they're family. And it's just, it's complicated. And I think that this film, or I'm sorry, the short story reminds us yeah. of that by asking us to, to put ourselves in her shoes, right? And we see that, like, she really can't stand her family. Why should she? They, they've literally replaced her. But also, she's been alone in a way that, like, none of us can really even fathom levels of alone. And that, that has been a worse hell for her in many respects. It has. But then also, then, she doesn't exactly want to go back to her no. family either. She's, uh, again, obviously, she had been deemed not successful enough. She had, I thought it was particularly very interesting of like she had been uh just kind of like a lot more of a boisterous person who was going down a more humanities uh, career track um and was just deemed not submissive enough for to fit into the family structure so uh they kill they kill her yeah. uh turn her into a ghost and replace her with this docile submissive engineering major daughter yes. uh, who who fits in and plays the role that the rest of the family wants him to play. And I think that's one of the things that I found so interesting about it is this idea of so much of family units are just a series of roles and expectations that other people pass down and project onto you. Yes. And then when you don't meet those expectations, they feel weird about it for reasons they don't even understand. And in this book, it's like, well, what if they did something about that? And being at a university like like I am and like you've been for so long, you know, it's the number of times that I hear, but that's not what my parents want me to do, right? And and that's that's mm -hmm. just that's just how it is. Or, uh, sorry, my phone is ringing. I'm just gonna hang up on that. So since we're doing this live, that's just how it works. Uh, welcome to reality. Welcome <laughs> to reality. The yeah. <laughs> that phone broke our reality that we had all agreed on so in essence it's just another right. uh, it's just another way it ties into it's this. a family <laughs> moment uh, <laughs> so the, the there's an element in which the story has this sort of like conversion therapy layer right and, and of yeah. course our main character isn't isn't mentioned as being gay um nor is her brother who's also been found deficient although you know he's the way that, that he's described has has some things that people often code as being gay, but right. that just that thread, that like awareness that we do this all the time in real life, uh, just makes the story particularly haunting. And then, of course, there's right. our, our final yeah. story, uh, "The Heads of the Leviathan" by Alex Wolfgang. Um, this is perhaps the most the most. Uh, distant from the rest of the family units it's on a separate island oh, far removed from the outside world uh, and it follows this family that upon the death of their mother 
they kind of realize that maybe they're connected in a way that maybe their mom had not told them. Yes. 100%. And so it's kind of dealing with the, oh, family, our family's got secrets and they're going to affect you in a ways that you have no idea about yeah. until it's happening. Yes. And so we have this story that's asking us, you know, at, at what point does our family literally become our entire world? Where right. where do we separate ourselves from our family? And, and where do we realize that, like, we are the product and maybe even the, like, you know, the, the sum of the parts, right? Like, so a family is, is simultaneously individuals, but it is also greater than those individual components. And, and then there's just a sort of like cosmic layer of, of horror, as you might guess right. from, from the word Leviathan in there that, that makes it so that as you're reading the story and you're reading this main character struggling to understand, like, why didn't his mom tell him things? Why didn't she prepare him for things? And, and there's kind of that like awareness of like, but how many times have, have we not listened <laughs> to our parents, even when they were like, Hey, Maybe you shouldn't yeah. do this. And we're like, I know what I'm doing. I'm 14 years old, you know? And so there's just, it's it's a, a hard balance to strike, but but Wolfgang managed to to create something that, that doesn't feel at all like anything I've ever gone through. But there are these moments that I can identify with very sharply um, and very, very real. It feels very yeah. real in so many ways. Well, I think this is perhaps, I mean, along with, I guess, Anthony Frost's uh, story as well, the most abstraction uh, it, it required because it's the themes and the messages are buried within all of these other larger situations that are going on cosmic as you mentioned seem kind of maybe apocalyptic mm -hmm. as well getting that vibe from this and so yeah it's really interesting the truth that's able to yes. come out of that abstraction though and there's this element that i think you know again um I have not encountered a Leviathan to the best of my knowledge in real life, but the yeah, me, neither have I. Well, good to know, but but the thing that is very relatable <laughs> is is this narrative of loss of of when a parent dies and you realize all the things they never told you about them, mm -hmm. about you, and and sort of like also just if you have siblings, you know, it seems like there's always inevitably that struggle of but like who's in charge of of putting together our lives now and who has been given the task of like being, for example, executor of the estate and, and then right. like people wanting it, but not wanting the responsibility. And so again, this, this story manages to take these really, like you said, abstract and wild things that are not going to happen to most people. And it still makes it feel like it is a story of, as the subtitle says, familial fear, right? Right. Because it is again, bloodlines and it's and it's going back to that so those are those are all four stories in here they're very very different from one another and yet they still have that through line yes. uh that connects all four of them together and yeah i just want to say i really really enjoyed these short yes. stories short stories are very difficult for me, me um i I think that they're often, I often would just rather read the full novel yes. with them. It's hard for me to sometimes justify being like that this, need, all of these needed to be a short yeah. story. It's like either it's not enough there. So it should have just been like a couple of pages right, and right. like a really, sh really short right. or uh, it needed to be, I needed more, but all of these fit like with, I think that they do the short story format really well because they are just 
small enough stories that the small shortness of them makes sense while still packing in so much goodness yeah. within their form. Right, and they and they talked about the fact that a couple of these stories were hard to place for that very right. reason, right? Because they're they're not quite they're definitely not novel length. They're not even quite novella length, but they're like novelette slash really long short stories. And and I think at the end of the day, one of the things that makes this this series, this book, uh, the series of stories so good is that like a family, it really is that, you know, the the sum is greater than the individual parts. Each story is really powerful and moving. But when you read them together and you have to like take a step back and see that bigger again to blood bloodline right that to have that final yeah. you you can't help but be reminded that family is so complicated of course it's going to be horrific because how can we understand something that is itself both incredibly intimate and familiar but also kind of cosmic right and that's just right. really great yeah and i i so anyone who's reading it wants to read it i definitely definitely yes. recommend checking it out and don't skip the forward either yes. it is i think so powerful and helping tie these things all together and just they all that author who who wrote the foreword had some really fascinating insights into the world of horror and in context of these short stories that i think really helped contextualize and really helped me appreciate yes. the connection yes. of them all even when they are so fat very very different from yes. one another so you should buy this book you should yes. leave a review because Buy these it. authors, you know, they're they're real people and they're really invested in the horror community. You should watch the interview because they also have yes. recommendations of, of the horror that they're engaging with, as well as just them sort of unpacking what horror means for them. And, and listening to their interview enriched my reading experience, you know, just exponentially. Absolutely. We would love to hear from you. What are your thoughts about Bloodlines? What are the books that are coming out that are indie, that are fresh, that are new, that you want us to talk about? Uh, Anthony, before we quickly wrap up, what else do they maybe need to know? You can follow us on all of our social medias, which are in the description of this uh, video and po slash podcast. You can also get in touch with us via email. Uh, let us know what you want to see next, what you like, what you disagree with. We want to hear it all. And if you have time, please consider giving us a rating wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps ex give us exposure and help us have more conversations with more people about horror. Exactly. Thank you so much for listening to our nightmares. And have a spooktacular day.